And now for a look at all things sports with two average sportsmen themselves. It's the Sporting Hacks with Hilly and Jules. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sporting Hacks with Hilly and Jules. Great to have your company for another week. We look forward to uh, talking all things AFL. We've got a very special guest joining us tonight from the AFL umpires in umpire David Harris. So we'll catch up with David a little bit later on in the program. We're looking forward to getting his insights, but I'm also looking forward to getting this man's insights as well. Very knowledgeable, very, um, I wouldn't say controversial, but he always has an opinion. And I'll speak of the great man, Jules. How are you, big fella? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Hilly. Um, my Tigers aren't doing so great. I went down Anzac Day Eve to the D's and Tigers, and I'll tell you what, Hilly, the Melbourne supporters are up and about. I've never heard them so loud at a footy game before. Even the members were up and about. So the Demons, get excited. Um, I still think the Tigers are about 10% off, but take nothing away from the D's. And, and your cats are back, Hilly. Yeah, well, I went down a fortnight ago against North Melbourne, and I've been to, there's I reckon, over 400 footy games in my time, mate. And I reckon it was probably one of the worst games I saw against North Melbourne. But they really bounced back the week after against West Coast. We're terrific. I think having Jeremy Cameron certainly adds a little bit more confidence going forward. Um, and obviously, you know, Rowan coming in. I know Rowan's not your big goal kicker or he's going to be your big stat getter. But I think with Hawkins, Rowan and Cameron down there, there's a bit more confidence going forward. And that's what it looked like on the weekend. So, no, very impressive. But, uh, yeah, footy's been good, mate. I reckon there's been some really good rounds. There's been some disappointing sides over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I reckon, you know, namely St Kilda are one of those who are really struggling at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, well, we'll get into it. We'll start with our team under pressure. And I was going to go to the Saints there, Hilly. Just, I think they're two, two wins, maybe 14th, 15th on the ladder. Really struggling. That They would have thought with uh, getting Brad Krebs in that they'd push for definitely top eight, if not top four this year. And they got the Hawks this week. And if they lose that, I think finals are done. So it's a massive, massive game this week. And they are hugely under pressure. And Brad Hill's another one that's on, what, seven, eight hundred k a year. And he's not getting many disposals and, and he's not using the footy. So they're really struggling. Just listening to a lot of the footy shows over the last couple of days. And it seems like a lot of teams have already worked out the way the Saints want to play. They want to get that quick ball movement, get it in deep down to King, give him plenty of opportunities, I guess, for Higgins and Butler to be those front and square players. But they probably haven't really had anything else to try and manoeuvre their way forward, I think. I think a lot of sides have just worked out the way they want to play and they haven't been really very adaptive of other circumstances to try and mix it up a little bit. And I think last year suited them. You know, the shorter quarters, they're quick, they're skillful. Um, you know, they use their pace off half back and then their small forwards went to work. Whereas this year, obviously longer quarters, I'm not sure if they're as fit or they're definitely not as skillful. And players like Dan Butler, who just had an amazing year, they just aren't there this year. So whether it was an anomaly like Melbourne had in 20. Uh, 17 when they made the prelim um, and then Miss Finals. I'm thinking Saints could potentially uh, do something similar to what the D's did a couple of years ago. Yeah, been very disappointing. I know they've had a few injuries as well. Hanabry and a few other really good quality players have been missing. But I guess looking at their lineup, 
most weeks, it's still reasonably strong. And you'd think that you know, a lot of the sides have probably played a lot of the lower sides. You would have thought that that side would have got it done. So, no, I agree, mate. I think the Saints have been uh, ultra disappointing. And, gee, geez, the next three or four weeks could be really season-defining for them because if they don't find their mojo and start getting a few wins, I think 2021 could be all over Red Rover. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll move on, mate, because we do want to get to our special guest as quick as we can. And uh, give us a team that's impressing you or a player. I've got a player this week, but, but um, tell me uh, maybe who's your team or player? Yeah, I'll tell you who I really like watching. I watched, Locking, I watched a bit of the Adelaide and Hawthorne game, and I just like some of the young key forwards that are making their mark on the competition. And whilst these two sides aren't highly... Um, they're going to be highly successful this year. I think that, you know, they're going to be making up the numbers in the bottom eight. But I think Adelaide have found a player in Riley Tilthorpe, who was in the top three of the draft last year. And also, I liked Hawthorne's Justin Kashitsky, um, both kicking five goals in the game down at Tasmania. Fantastic to watch. They were happy to go for the big flying marks. They took some big contested grabs. They kicked beautifully throughout the course of the day. And it was a little bit blowy over there as well. I just thought it was nice to see the next generation of key forwards stepping up and kicking a few goals. And Tilthorpe in his first game was sensational. And Kashitsky, I think, has got potential to be uh, you know, a pretty good player in the years to come. Yeah, good one, Hilly. And I think with, with, the, with the King brothers and a couple others, there's going to be a lot of young key forwards over the next few years. You know, Harry Mackay's another one. Just take the, take the comp by storm, I think. So... Yeah, really impressed with some young young key forwards and, and a great selection. Speaking of Harry Mackay, geez, he's found some good form over the last couple of weeks, six last weekend. And um, I think the kicking of, has sort of been his little bit of an Achilles heel at times. He takes some really good grabs, but his kicking lets him down. I reckon he's worked a fair bit on that, um, especially in the off-season. And he's drawing the fruits of it now where he's kicking a lot more goals from his set shots and making the most of his opportunities. So... I guess you can really put him in that conversation as well. He's been pretty impressive to watch and who I've enjoyed sort of seeing progress a little bit more this year. Yeah, absolutely. And Aaron Norton's another one. Same, same thing. Probably one of the best contested marks, if not the best in the comp, but just kicking lets him down. You know, he, he has enough shots on goal every week, but he sort of kicks his one, three or his two, four. And if he converts those into, you know, four, your four twos or your five ones, he'll, He'll turn into the A grader that he should become. What about you, mate? Who's uh, the team or the player that you've enjoyed watching over the last uh, week or so? I'm going back a little bit, Hilly, because we failed to mention this this person in our podcast for the last month or so, and it's Tex Walker. Um, I think most people, and I thought he was done. Um, I wasn't his biggest fan over the last three or four years since their grand final. But his first four or five weeks were as good as I've seen. He was tackling. He was taking your contested marks. Uh, I think he had 21 goals after four rounds, which is huge in, in uh, as you know, in, in, the, in this day and age with not as many goals being kicked, even though this year it seems to be changing. But I just love watching him play. And as you said, uh, the Crows are improving. And, and with, with this Tiltorp, it, it, um, it looks good for the Crows. It does, and I think their ball use going forward has been a little bit better too, Jules. Like last year, you know, they had a horrific season. Their mid midfielders weren't using the ball well. The delivery wasn't as good as what it could have been. And I think, you know, 
these kids are another year older, getting a little bit more experience week by week and their confidence going forward and, you know, really hitting their foot skills going forward. Texas enjoying that. But there was a, um, in the Hawthorne game on the weekend, like even his brute force, he's a strong man. There was that right contest from a boundary throw in him and big boy McAvoy. He just made him like second rate, big boy McAvoy. And Texas pushed him out of the way, grabbed it, left foot snap, kicked a goal. And, um, you know, he's doing all, all sort of different things to get his goals. It's not just the set shots, it's the grunt work and um, some of the ground balls and so forth. So he's, yeah, he's really sort of caught the eye of everyone, hasn't he, by surprise? And I think it makes a huge difference when your big power forward is up and about. I just think it filters through the whole club and all the players that are playing on the day. You know, if, if you're kicking into your power forward and he's giving you nothing, like Tom Lynch did on, on Saturday night, um, but don't get <laughs> I, me started I on gonna, that. I was going to mention Lynch hasn't done much in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, he's not enjoyed big footy. And I think that's probably, as you said, a little bit evident if your big forward's doing good things at, in the 50, you know, your team's up and about, but it may be a little bit of a downfall of why the Tigers haven't played all that well the last couple of weeks. Well, as I said, don't get me started, but very soft on Saturday night. I think Jack's been quite good this year, but um, yeah, as I said, I just think when, when your forward's up and about, it filters through and, and you know, I think what Crows were three and one and now they're back to three and three. Um, but not, not many expected them to win three or four games this year. So um yeah, they started well. Yeah, they're going okay. Hey, mate, last last program, um, you know, you had a uh, a big rant. Let's let's say it. it was a bit of a rant about just the way the umpiring is going on. So we thought uh, we'd try and hunt down an AFL umpire to get a bit of clarification on a few things. And we're lucky enough to um to chase down for Dave Harris, which is going to be great. Looking forward to this chat. Yeah, mate, I gave you the task um, last week. I said, get me an umpire and good on you. You, uh, you come up trumps and just an awesome chat, Dave was. And I hope the listeners enjoy this because he is an absolutely great fella. He's, uh, he's from Warnable, so we love him. And it's a great story. And um, yeah, the inter- interview goes a little bit longer, but I hope, I hope you enjoy it. I'll tell you what, Jules, we've looked at football from a few different angles over the course of the last year. We've looked at talent identification, we've looked at player management, we've talked to players, we've talked to coaches. We're going to do a different side tonight. We're going to talk all things AFL umpiring. And we've been very lucky enough to be joined by AFL umpires umpired 151 games, had the big 150 milestone a fortnight ago. I'll speak of number 24, David Harris. Dave, thanks for joining us on the Sporting Hacks, mate. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you. We're excited to chat to you because we've looked at a lot of different avenues of AFL football and the pathways and, as we said, talent identification, player management. But we wanted to sort of get and have a look at uh, umpiring and, and obviously the, the role that you guys play in the game. Um, first and foremost, uh, it must be nice to be back umpiring in front of big crowds in a normal season. Um, you're uh, different to what you sort of had last year with the hub. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I... Last year was the first time I've ever umpired a game in front of zero uh, people. Um, you know, that, so that was a really weird experience and obviously getting back into it now. And, you know, I had Carlton Collingwood a few weeks ago, which was, you know, 50-odd thousand, you know, making some noise. It's, uh, it makes it that little bit more enjoyable. 
And Spud, thanks for um, coming on, like Hilly said. But for those that are listening and, and may want to go down the umpiring path, just tell us a bit about your journey. How did you become an umpire and how did you get to the elite level, I suppose? Yep. Uh, so I grew up in Pamua. Uh, really wanted to play footy. Uh, probably started playing when I was a little bit too young and too small. Uh, and I was, yeah, I never really got a go. Like I never got, I can probably count how many possessions I got for a whole season on one hand. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't one of those players that got in and under and got, got a hard ball. Um, but my primary school principal at the time, so Dee Freeby, he, uh, he was involved with umpiring and he was also involved with athletics that I was doing during summer. And he just said to me, you know, why don't I come uh, and have a, have a run around on the boundary and uh, try it out. I went to training, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it all started from there. And, you know, the positive <clears throat> was that I got paid uh, $7.50 a game. So as a, a 12-year-old, I thought, geez, I'm raking in the, the big bucks. Um, and then, you know, as, as I continued on, I, I started to really fall in love with it. Uh, I got some really great opportunities and, um, it wasn't until I was about sort of 15 or so that I thought, you know what, I, I really want to try and take this uh, as far as I can. Uh, and as I said, I was fortunate to get some opportunities, do some senior grand finals and, uh, yeah, trialled for, for VFL and, um, yeah, TAC Cup or NAB League, they call it now. So that was sort of how it all, yeah, started, um, yeah, down in Warrnambool. Hey, Dave. You speak about had that aspirations around 15 to take it a little bit further. Warrnambool's been a pretty good breeding ground with a few umpires. Sean Ryan's, you know, one that comes to mind. Was he someone that you sort of lent on or, you know, seeked advice on how to get to that next level? Uh, well, he wasn't actually involved when I was uh, there. He'd already moved on uh, to uni. I was probably missed him by like a year or two. Um, but obviously having that person from Warrnambool, uh, make it to that next level. We also had Jason Armstrong as well on the, the AFL list um, as well. And, you know, I was fortunate enough once I got to VFL and started trialling, Sean had just been elevated to the AFL list. And, you know, I was able to get in contact with him from that point on. And from then, he's always been a, a massive supporter and, and someone I still rely on these days to, uh, to get advice and, and guidance from. Um, and it's fortunate that he just lives... 10 minutes down the road as well. And Dave, we were just talking a little bit off air that you are um, basically a full-time umpire at the moment. You've got a couple of things going on in the background. But I suppose tell us what a week um, in the life of an AFL umpire looks like, probably uh, more during the week, you know, your training and and you're also talking about something um, where you've just come from as well. Yep. Uh, So a normal week for me, um, we find out each Monday afternoon what our appointment is for the, uh, the week coming. Uh, so we don't know in advance uh, that far ahead. Uh, so I found out today I'm on Friday night. So my week now, we sort of work backwards from there. Uh, like what days I train uh, and, yeah, what, what prep I need to do uh, to get up for, for the, the game. So uh, being the game's Friday... Uh, and I had a Saturday game in, on the Gold Coast on the weekend. You know, today was very low-key. Uh, tomorrow, I'll do a bike session. Uh, Wednesday, I'll do my main session. So that'll be my, what we call T1, T2. So it's a combination between the, yeah, your Tuesday and Thursday session. I'll do that on the Wednesday. 
Thursday will be uh, just a recovery slash uh, prep for the game, like movement-wise. And then obviously we get into the game on the Friday. Uh, besides training, I'll go and watch vision uh, of each of the teams that I've got. Uh, and that way I can get to see players' faces, see how uh, they play, who's the ruckman, who, how they go up, um, just so I can get a visual on, on those guys. Uh, and then obviously we've got feedback uh, in between that as well with our coach from the weekend's game. So uh, it probably, when I worked it out uh, in the past, including travel time, it probably worked out to be about 30-odd hours a week that we were putting into umpiring. Um, and obviously we just balanced that around uh, my other role with AFL Barwon, uh, working yeah in the umpire department, but also footy ops as well. So yeah, things are uh, things are pretty busy. I guess too, Dave. Like as you said, uh, you know we speak about AFL clubs and they look at feedback and, and they look at vision to review the game that's been and obviously you know opposition and so forth. So it's really refreshing to see that you guys go to that same level as well. What are sort of the things that uh, you know the umpire's boss or your umpire's coach will sort of look to give you feedback on? What's the you know the, the main things most weeks after your umpire game what are the what are the main things they sort of look at yeah so we we have a few areas of um that we get adjudicated on and obviously the main one is decision making it's the biggest part of our uh assessment so obviously we go through um pretty much decisions that we either do very well or yeah get right or uh ones that we need to learn from uh so that takes up majority of the coaching sessions but we also talk about management how we handle situations uh communication teamwork how well we work together as a group um you know support freeze is one of our our big uh sort of kpis in a way um you know you want to be you want to be helping your mate out obviously because the game is so hard to umpire you're not going to see everything so we try and get ourselves into positions to be able to help uh help our mate out and obviously bouncing's the other the other area that we you know, is a pretty key skill um, that we get adjudicated on. I'm a, I'm a mad Tigers fan, Dave, so I'm very much looking forward to Friday night now. But with with big games like that on Friday, and you see Jed Cartman, <coughs> excuse me, Collingwood a couple of weeks ago, it, I know you're, you're obviously a, a very good professional, but is it hard to stay focused with the crowd and the noise and the everything that's going on? You know, you've got these gun players running past you. Is it really hard to just stay focused at times? Uh, no, it's, I find it pretty easy to stay focused because you've got to be in the moment. You can't get sort of caught up on, you know, the noise or uh, previous things that have happened because once you, once you get distracted, uh, obviously that's when you're not thinking about what you're supposed to be doing, uh, process making and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I'm not going to lie. Early, early on, I, had a, I remember having a game. Nick Rewalt was playing. And I'm standing next to him, I'm thinking, Jesus, like, I've watched this bloke on TV and here I am standing right next to him. Like, you know, there are times like that. Um, but at the moment, yeah, it's just making sure that you're in the moment, being uh, present and just thinking about what you've got to do at that time. Hey, Dave, you spoke just before about it being a really tough game to officiate. I think that when you look at sport around the world, like AFL would have to be up there, if not the hardest game to officiate. So many rules and so much ground to cover. Um, obviously, there's been a few new rules implemented this year, but not only this year, uh, over the last few years, there's been a lot of tinkering to the game to make it more attractive and so forth. From an umpire's point of view, 
how have you guys adapted to trying to adhere the new rules and, and to ensure that, you know, um, it's not getting over-officiated, you're letting it go, but making sure that you're pulling up decisions when you need to make them? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's obviously one of the biggest challenges is the, the constant rule changes. Uh, I think we do adapt really well to them. Uh, we do a lot of training, uh, especially during pre-season. You know, we, we make sure we go out to clubs as much as we can. Uh, I think this year we nearly ticked off probably 300 club visits across all the clubs. Um, so just making sure a lot of it this year was around the stand rule. So just making sure that clubs are aware of what they can and can't do. And it gives us a good chance to practice uh, these, uh, the, you know, these new rules so that when we do get to in-season, we're adjudicating as, as well as we can possibly do it. Um, yeah, look, it's one of, these, uh, one of these things that they're always trying to improve the game if they can find a way to just tweak it to make it that little bit better. Um, yeah, we've just got to learn to uh, adjust with it. And just on that, Dave, I'm not sure how this sort of works, but do the AFL or does your boss come to you and say this week or the next month we're going to focus on, for example, the stand rule or, you know, are we going to focus on holding the ball, dropping the ball? Does that sort of, are those conversations happening? Not, uh, not as in specifically like that. Uh, but if there's a week where we don't get, you know, holding the ball right, for instance, like we have a lot of errors in that, in that area, then they are going to talk about it at training because we need to make sure we get it right. But there's nothing that we sit there and go, all right, for this month, we're going to make sure that we, yeah, get 50 metre penalties right around the stand rule. Um, we've just got to make sure that each game that we go into, we're just really clear on what's the expectations, like where, we, where we're sitting uh, in decision-making wise and just making sure that we nail as many of uh, the decisions as possible. I reckon communication would be the biggest thing, especially this year with this stand rule. And to be honest with you, I keep it critical of the umpires, but that's just a normal supporter talking, Dave. Always backing you, though, mate. I watched again at Geelong and North Melbourne <laughs> the other week, and you know, was a, for a Geelong supporter, it was a crap game to watch. But communication, mate, has probably been the biggest thing with this stand rule. It's just ensuring that you, you know, the players understand that stand, stand, stand. Um, but also, too, just play communication, I reckon, would be vital on your day, um, you know, game day. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say to people, you know, when they're, when they're starting out umpiring, like a lot of people can pay a decision, but it's a way you communicate it and your match management that will set you apart um, from being just a good umpire to, you know, one of the best umpires. Um, so we, obviously the easiest way for us, you know, to handle games, you know, as, uh, appropriately is by knowing players, uh, knowing them by name, because it's easy to have that conversation with them if you do, you do know that. Um, but just being really clear, you know, there, there are going to be times where you just don't, you don't see a free kick or, you know, see an incident the same way as them. And you've just got to acknowledge it. Like there's no point trying to, you know, talk shit around it. Um, you know, there's times where I've just said, I just didn't see what you're saying. And usually players just get on with it after that. Like they, they can smell it if you're, um, yeah, talking, talking crap. And obviously the crowd have probably seen it too, so they'll give you a bit of a spray yeah. on the sidelines. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, then, you know, the thing is, there's going to be times where stuff happens on the, the outside of play that we've just got no chance of seeing. And, and you know, I can talk from examples. Like, uh, I think two, three weeks ago, I had a game in Adelaide where there was a throw on the outside of play. And literally, like, our coach 
said to us afterwards. Like the only way you would have seen that is if you're in the front row. Like there's just no way you can pick it up. So, um, you know, there's always some friendly feedback uh, at boundary throw-ins, I won't lie. <laughs> I guess I'll tell you what. So, I think the thing is too, Dave, is, and I, I heard this on radio the other day, and I think it might have been SEN or whoever it may have been, said, listen, you know, umpires, they make mistakes. They're just human. It's just human nature that, you know, we make mistakes. But the other thing is, though, too, how many mistakes do a player make during a game? It doesn't get as noted as much as what an umpire does. So I think we've got to you know, keep that in mind as well. You know, it's, um, you know, we all make mistakes. And, um, you know, players probably make more mistakes game day than what umpires do if they miss a free kick here or there. Yeah. Look, like, like everyone, we want to be, you know, perfect. But in the world of AFL, it's very hard to be perfect uh, to walk out of a game with no errors because you think of how many marking contests, how many tackles, um, you know, just the process making for holding the ball, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it's, it's a very hard game uh, to get right all the time. And I think, um, you know, when we get to the final two minutes of a quarter and, or a very close game and, you know, a decision doesn't go their way, you know, we can really, really get bogged down on it. Uh, but across the whole game, that person might have only had, you know, one or two errors for the whole day. But it's just that that one error is highlighted uh, mm. for everyone to talk about. Just on that, Dave, and I think I know uh, what your answer will be because you sort of answered it before in my previous question. But yeah. with that scenario, with two minutes to go, scores are level, do you yourself get a little bit, I don't want to say nervous, but do you sort of, are you just thinking in the back of your mind, you really want to make the best decisions here? Oh, absolutely. You, you never want to make a mistake. It doesn't matter if it's the first minute or the last minute. Um, but you are, you know, there is times where you can feel, you know, the atmosphere pick up and the, and, the, and the pressure in the game. But in saying that, like I sit there and go, here's a great challenge. Like how exciting is this to be, you know, be involved at this pressure moment and you just want to nail it. Like um, same thing going back, you know, round three or four, Adelaide Gold Coast, you know, the last, the last five minutes, we're in control and we've got to try and make sure we get everything correct. Um, you just want to make sure that, yeah, everything, the way you adjudicate it is uh, the best best way possible. Dave, I want to ask you about the holding the ball rule. Obviously, and I guess an incident early in the year was the Geelong and Brisbane game where blitz halves, and again, it's positioning and being in the right spot at the right time, and the umpire felt that, no, he, he didn't, whatever, he yep. didn't, wasn't holding the ball. Just for the listeners out there, what do you look for in holding the ball? Because it's a very contentious issue, isn't it? And it's one that you know, gets yeah. brought up quite a bit. You know, does someone hold it on a little bit longer than others? You know, why isn't holding the ball? So from your interpretation, what is holding the ball um, when you guys are out there officiating? Yeah, so I was actually thinking about this one before and I thought I might throw it back onto you guys. And uh, can you guys tell me what you think holding the ball is? You go, George, you're the football star, mate, on the play. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think holding the ball to me is you've had opportunity to get rid of it. So whether that's you've had time to dispose of it, someone's tackled you and you've, you haven't disposed of it correctly, whether by hand or foot. Yeah. 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 I would Billy, say the same I'll, thing. Yeah, cool. So there's two different, well, when we adjudicate holding the ball, there's if they've had prior and if they've, they've not had prior. Um, so if we were to talk about the Blickars one, um, we should have adjudicated that as having, not having prior. So players had no prior. And what do we need to see from that player to not pay holding the ball? So we can agree he has possession. 
gets tackled legally and the tackle doesn't knock the ball out. So what do we need to see Blickarbs do? We need to see him make a genuine attempt to dispose. Now, in that instance, we didn't see that. So that should have been a hold on the ball for incorrect disposal rather than prior opportunity. So that's the, that's the difference with prior op versus incorrect disposal. Um, and you'll see incorrect disposal sometimes paid and it happens very quickly. And this is where, you know, the prior op side of things can make it confusing for people because you'll see yeah. times where um, a player literally picks up the ball, fends someone straight away and then doesn't dispose. And then you'll have another, op- another time where someone feels like they get an eternity to get rid of it and they, they don't. Um, so we've got to break it down into those types of um, decisions. Uh, and then the flow on from that, what cues we're looking for, because if you had a look in the rule book, it doesn't actually say these cues, but what we're looking for. So if someone fends, someone evades, uh, someone's balance is steady, prior option not taken. So as you said before, goes to handball, but doesn't or, you know, has an option to kick. Um, you know, leads with their head. So Hilly, you would have seen, I paid one against Cunnington, um, which is a very unusual one where he puts his head down and tries to run through the tackler. Uh, yeah. It doesn't make an attempt to spoil, but that drive is his, is his prior opportunity. And then uh, obviously if you play on from a mark or free kick. So they're the types of things we're trying to adjudicate in the heat of battle. Um, so we've got to weigh those things up. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it, it's, it is definitely one of the, the hardest areas to adjudicate because uh, you've got to weigh those things up in that amount of time. That's right. And I guess, Spud, you know, we get to watch it on TV if we're not at the game and you get to see replays. Oh, you know, why didn't Harris pay that? But yeah. the thing is, we're watching a replay and they're breaking it down, you know, frame by frame. You've got a split yeah. second to decide whether it's legitimate or whether he's, um, you know, incorrectly disposed of it or, or whatever yeah, that's that right. decision may be. So. Yeah, uh, great answer, mate. And uh, I guess, you know, that's one that probably I wanted to get more clarification on because you see a yeah. lot of it, you know, what, what determines holding the ball, but, you know, you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head there, which is great. Oh, it is, it is uh, the, one of the, obviously, talked about a lot, um, but it is one of the hardest areas for us to adjudicate. I'll also say there that, um, you know, I would, I would love for... Um, People that commentate on footy or, you know, that talk about footy and people listen to, uh, I'd love for them to also understand the rule fully so that when they're talking about it, they're giving correct information. Uh, because what can end up happening is people take, you know, your word, for instance, Hilly, for gospel, uh, when they're listening to, you know, the Hampton League game of the round. And, um, you know, they just go, oh, well, Hilly said it was holding the ball, so it must be holding the ball. Yeah. But we want to make sure that we're getting the right message out there and, and why it was holding the ball versus my opinion of it should be holding the ball. Yeah, yeah. So no, I did some uh, umpiring school footy last week, Spud, and I tell you what, it is very, very difficult. Um, so hats off to you. But well, I suppose we could talk about rules all all day and night. Well, no, I could. I'm finding it extremely <laughs> interesting. But I suppose Hilly, we can't let this interview go without asking about Razor Ray. What's he like, Spud? Uh, look, he's a little man with a big personality. Um, he does, he does cop a lot of, uh, flack for the group. Um, you know, sometimes it's great to umpire with him because you could make an error and it's his fault. Um, you know, it's happened multiple times. Um, but he is a guy 
that wants the best for the group. Uh, he challenges the group to, you know, get um, be as good as possible. Uh, and in coaching sessions, he's always the one asking asking the group like, "What does footy want in these scenarios?" Um, so he's a great. He's actually a really great communicator. He sees the game really well. Um, he's just got this uh, profile now because of you know BT and and that sort of thing. So uh, <laughs> he cert- he certainly embraced it. Like um, you know, I was I was with him on the weekend, and I'm with him again this week. And you know, he, he can't go anywhere without someone yelling, "Hey, Razor!" You know, everyone <laughs> everyone knows who he is. So we'll have to start the hay sputter, mate. <laughs> um, I don't know if it'll get up. I think uh, everyone will be like, well, it's probably an appropriate nickname for me sometimes, but um, yeah, no, I don't think it'll get too far. Hey, Dave, I want to ask you, mate, you've umpired one final, and I know that would have been a great thrill for you, mate. No doubt that's probably the aspiration for you now, being one of the senior umpires, uh, you know, amongst the umpire group, um, to umpire a few more finals. That must be a real buzz. Yeah, it was truly one of the best experiences in my umpiring career, like it easily the highlight. Um, you know, I got to do uh, West Coast Collingwood uh, in 2018 when they played off the first uh, first week of finals. It was the highest crowd at Optus, Optus Stadium. Um, and, you know, it was a tough game. And it was probably one of the best games that I've personally umpired in my, in my career. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget the moment when uh, Lewis Jetta kicks that goal. He does the big Ronaldo, you know, um, celebration and the ball's coming back to the middle. And the crowd was that loud. Like that, I got tingles up my, up my spine, standing there before that next bounce going like, oh, shit, how good is this? Um, and, you know, you talk about it being loud. Like my mic- microphone stopped working in that last probably uh, 45 seconds. Like I just couldn't hear a thing. Uh, it, was that, it was that noisy. Um, you know, for, for our list, we've got uh, 30, 34 uh, or 33, 34 on our list. Um, and we're all trying to get the same. We're all trying to be finals umpires. So um, it's a very tough thing to achieve, to finish in that in, realistically in the top 12, just to get picked for finals. Uh, so you've got to make sure you umpire every week like it's your last, to be honest, just, just to be part of that first week of finals. And Dave, just on the crowds, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this correctly, but um, who's the most feral crowd or who's the most feral club and, can you can you give us a player maybe that you know gives you a bit of lip or uh, anything um, like that? Look, crowd wise, it, the thing is everyone's just super passionate. Like everyone just wants everything for their for their team. Uh, and unfortunately, probably the only people that can see things both ways are umpires. Um, so look, I, I actually find it enjoyable when it's a tough situation like it really challenges you to be on on uh mentally the whole game um you know i've heard everyone always talk about noise of affirmation and that sort of thing the thing with that is you've already made your decision by the time the crowd has made noise um you know there's times where you sit there and go geez they all went up for some incident and you watch the game back and you're thinking what were they looking at like there was nothing there. So you can't get caught up in, in that. Um, but more around players, like, look, um, you know, I don't know if you've watched that um, Making Your Mark documentary, uh, but Rory Sloan, he's a, he's a great bloke. 
Like I had a club visit there a few years ago. He was in rehab. He comes and talks to me for 10 minutes. You know, like he didn't have to do that. He could have just kept doing his thing. Uh, same thing when I was there that day. Scotty Thompson that used to play at Adelaide, yeah. you know, he stops. Um, I'm waiting out the front for a taxi. He stops and goes, mate, I'll give you a lift. And it's like, oh, it's, it's all good now. But, you know, just there's just lots of great guys um, that I've come across in footy. So, um, not avoiding your answer, but um, I think sometimes players get, well, obviously players get white line fever. So, uh, you want to know, you want to get to know the person off the field before you say, oh, no, they were terrible because, like, they could just be, yeah, really angry on the field, but then the nicest person you'll ever meet off them. <laughs> hey, Spud, before we let you go, mate, we really do appreciate your time on the Sporty Hacks. It's been a, a great chat. I want to ask you about Brownlow votes. Is that a really hard thing for an umpire, to, the umpires to do after the game? Because I guess there's so many different elements to... to players and the roles they play you get you know your high possession winners you get your big forwards and kick goals your defenders that shut down key forwards it must be a pretty tough thing to try and get the Brownlow votes you know really balanced yeah so it is it is a tough one um I can't really go into specifics yeah that's uh, as fine. such totally because understand. it's part of contract but just as you said there like you know it's exactly the same as when you you know you're commentating footy like you're looking at the impact players have now does it mean they have to be the highest possession getter on the ground? No, because someone could get an absolute truckload of it but butcher it every single time. Well, that's not, you know, that's not worthy of the votes. You might have someone that shuts down a player um, that, yeah, really changes the outcome of a game. Like, that's, that's worth more. You know, you think about, um, you know, tackles and pressure and, you know, what they did um, in the game. So, for us specifically, what we'll do is we'll – obviously come together at each break and sort of just throw up some names. Um, and then once we get to the end of the game, we'll literally get team sheets and we'll just run through names and go, yes, no, yes, no, just to get sort of a group. Yeah. And then from there, like, and in saying this as well, there's days when the votes are easy, but there's a lot of times where you get to, you know, twos and ones and you're going, there's eight people here that we could choose. Like, then we've got to break it down and go, okay, well, we're knocking this one out. We're knocking this one out. So we've got five left. Okay, of these five, you know, who had more impact, uh, that sort of thing. So there's days that, you know, can take five minutes and then there's days that can take 45. Yeah, right. So, and Dave, on that, do you look at the stats? Uh, is, nah, is that something you're allowed to do? No, nah, we're not allowed. We don't have any technology until the Brownlow's signed and sealed. So we don't get access to that stuff. Um, yeah, as I said, we're literally just going off gut feel. Like emergency umpire will sort of keep an idea, an idea on, um, you know, if there's been goal kickers or that sort of thing. Um, but no, we don't get anything afterwards. Yeah, geez, it's a tough gig, isn't it? Just to get that balance right, because you're, you're exactly correct in what you say. There's, you know, probably 10 bikes that could be worthy of two on one votes and getting it right. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Wouldn't be an easy process, but I guess it'd be a oh. lot of robust, robust discussion with your colleagues on, you know, the best. Absolutely, bit. I can. I'll give you a story. I remember I was sitting the bench down at Geelong one day, uh, and it was like round twenty-two, round twenty-one, round twenty-two, um, and these two umpires nearly got in a in a verbal stoush, shall we just say, over <laughs> over one vote, and one umpire was adamant it had to be this person and the other umpire was like, no, I don't agree. And it was a debate. 
there was a debate for the next 15 minutes about, you know, who should get the one vote. And obviously at that, you know, by that time of year, it can have a massive, uh, you know, impact on, on uh, the outcome. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dave, we really do appreciate your time, mate. We could speak to you for hours on end. I'm just loving this. It's been really refreshing and just your honesty and your openness of how it all rolls, mate. We, we really do appreciate it. Don't we, Jules? Yeah, no, that was great. As, as Hilly said, and I said before, I could t- talk to you all night. It's, it fascinates me umpiring, and I reckon you do a great job, Dave, so well done. Uh, thanks. thanks for having me, and I'll, uh, I'm always uh, available for a chat with, uh, with you boys. I won't make myself available for, uh, for other podcasts. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'll tell you what, we've got the uh, exclusive rights to the great Dave Harris, and mate, you never know, come finals time, hopefully we might be able to sneak you in if you're um, in amongst the, uh, the umpires for uh, the finals. That'd be terrific. Yeah, it would be a great result. Jules, don't give me uh, too much stick uh, through the TV on Friday night. <laughs> I'll try not to. I'll do my best. <laughs> I must admit, I was at the other day when you were doing North Melbourne, Spud, I'm yelling out, come on, Spud, come on. I don't know how loud you, how you would have heard it or not, because you know, 25,000 other people. But I was, I was giving you a bit of a positive. I was telling everyone around us, I'll give it to these other umpires, but I won't give it to the number two. <laughs> uh, he's a mate of mine, so I want to keep yeah. it nice. <laughs> uh, it's good. Like living in Geelong, uh, a lot of umpires from Geelong obviously support Geelong and they're always there. And all I got tonight was uh, at training was, geez, uh, you bounced the ball well. If, uh, if grand finals were picked up bouncing the ball, I'd be a fair chance, I reckon. <laughs> Oh, it's that time of the week where we look at our clangor, choke and moral of the week. And it's great to acknowledge our sponsors, Matt McCart, Aerobic Performance Coaching and PLI Financial Services. Great to have those three organisations on board. Jules, where are you heading for clangor of the week? Yeah, thanks, Hillian. Thanks to Macca, um, absolute legend. Uh, who's making a comeback down at South Rovers. So get around him. Uh, thanks again, Macca. Great My player, of the week. Great player. Yeah, absolute gun. So, so go and check him out and check out his drawings. Um, Clanger of the week, Hilly. You spoke about this earlier in the program. Uh, the Adelaide and Hawks game, a cracking game. Um, Crows got up by, I think, 32 points. Hawks come back, hit the lead. Crows had the wind in the last quarter and Ben Keyes took a mark about 40 outs straight in front with the breeze. Um, had a great year, Ben Keyes, but not the best by foot. He's gone back with about two minutes to go and put it straight out on the full. And they're only down by about two or three points and could have cost them a game. So Keyes, uh probably needed a goal, but even a point might have, you know, at least got closer to a draw or something. So my clanger of the week. Mate, I'll tell you what, he missed that goal by an absolute mile. That went out of bounds about 20, 20 metres around from the, uh, the point post. It was unbelievable how, uh, how much across the face he kicked that, that, uh, that out of bounds on the full. It was unbelievable. Can I, he, actually can... kicked one, he actually kicked one earlier in the day from about 50, which was further out on an angle. So, yeah, real clanger there. 
Hey, I just want to chuck in another little clanger. Did you see the video during the week of the dad who had the little son behind the goals at Port Adelaide? <laughs> the Port Adelaide players kicked the goal. The old man's lifted him up thinking, oh, yeah, cheering for a goal. <laughs> it's hit him straight in the head. A bit of a falcon. If that's not a little clanger from the old man, I'll crawl, hey. Uh, very, very funny. And I did say that. They're on the news actually tonight. So, yeah, just be better, Dad. You know, what are you doing with all this with all this concussion these days? You're subjecting your kid to a bit of brain damage there, old, old Dad. I'm not sure Mum would have been impressed. But we'll move on, Hilly, and give us your choke of the week, sponsored by Aerobic Performance Coaching, Matty Billington, all the way over from America. Thanks, Matty. And uh, where are you heading this week, Hilly? Oh, well, mate, I'm heading the same game as you went. Uh, Adelaide Crows, they had the game on... They had them on toast, the Hawthorne Hawks. I think they were 42 points up at one stage. They'd kick 14 goals straight without any behinds and going beautifully, playing a good brand of footy. But just they went back into their shells and played negative football. They sort of lost their mojo. They lost their hardness at the contest. Decision-making skills just really faltered. And from where they were to lose by, what was it, a couple of points, um, a really disappointing performance. And the Crows would probably really kick themselves that that was a, a game that went missing. So um, I thought it was a really easy choke of the week this week. Um, when you're nearly eight goals up, or seven goals up, I should say, and then you, uh, you allow the opposition to win, uh, that's a choke for mine. So uh, that's my choke of the week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was a funny, funny game because, as you said, Adelaide dominated, the Hawks couldn't get the ball, and then it was vice versa. Like, it's just funny how... Momentum and footy can, can swing that way. Um, but we're back, Hilly. We're back on the winner's list with our morals of late. Although you, you didn't get the, uh, the AFLW grand final. So, but I'm back, so get around me. <laughs> but where are, where are you heading this weekend, mate, with your morals sponsored by PLI Financial Services? I'll tell you what, it's a tough weekend for footy tipping. We're just talking off air and... Out of the nine games, I reckon there's eight 50-50s there to a certain degree. I think the absolute moral is Melbourne taking on North Melbourne. Melbourne should absolutely pummel them by uh, who knows what it'll be. Give us a margin, Hilly. Hey? Give us a margin. What do you reckon? Oh, geez, I reckon they'll beat them by over 70 points. And that's probably been generous. Even though North Melbourne have been okay the last couple of weeks, they were okay against the Cats. They played pretty negative football and they were flooding back. It wasn't a great spectacle. And then I didn't watch much against the Fremantle um, side over at WA on the weekend. But from what I read, they reckon they were a little bit more improved. Like they've got some good kids, but they just like that experience. But I'm not going to go there. I think that's too easy of a moral. So uh, where am I going to go? I'm going to go St. Kilda and Hawthorne. The Saints Ooh. are getting a heap of pressure from outside. They need to win. And I reckon the Saints will bounce back. I won't say in a strong way, but I think they'll get the job done over the Hawks, who are a little bit hot and cold. They had a poor first half. Their second half last week was pretty good. So I reckon the Saints just against Hawthorne for the four points, and I reckon I'm happy with that as my moral of the week. Yeah, that's risky. But as, as we said at the start, Saints run under pressure, and it's a must-win game for them. So I don't mind it. Um, yeah, I don't mind that one, Hillian. But I've just got a question for you a bit off topic before I get to my moral. With the D's and North game, D's are obviously 6-0. and o. Is it too early to start to rest players if they've got a bit of a niggle 
You know, you've got Ben Brown and you've got Wiedemann and you've got a few players in the VFL that can come in. You know, D's aren't going to lose the North. It's as simple as that. Um, I don't think they lose the next four, mate. Yeah, so do you think they could possibly start to rest a few and bring in some VFL players just to get some games in before, obviously, the finals? Again, I know it's early. Or, and you don't want to flirt with form? What, what do you reckon? Looking at their draw, they could probably nearly afford to do it over the next four weeks because they have got a pretty reasonable draw. But you're right, you can't flirt with form. And we're only six rounds in. There's 23 games to go. So, like, they're red hot at the moment. And by rights, they probably should be 10 and zip after the first 10 rounds. But you can't take anyone too lightly on any given day. And North Melbourne's probably the only exception to a degree. But, you know, you take on Adelaide over there, which I think they're doing about three weeks' time. You know, whilst they should go in overwhelming favourites, it's not a lay down as there they'll get the job done. Because we know what Melbourne have done previously. And hopefully they're different to that this is a side that's different to other years where they get the hopes up of all their supporters but then they drop games that they shouldn't and so forth but oh listen if if they've got the right quality to come in that can fill a gap yeah for sure if they've got someone who's got a niggly yeah why not you know like if there's a you know say fritch is out and then you know a brand comes in well that's a pretty good a pretty good swap. But I guess, yeah, you don't want to be flirting with form. It's an interesting one. Is it too early? Well, depending on the severity of what the injury is, I guess, or how, how bad the niggle is and whether it could be turning into something that's a little bit long, long-term. long Yeah, and watching them live on Saturday night, they're a completely different side. You know, people say, can we trust them? Well, I don't beg for them, but I can trust them now. The way they play is just exciting. And yeah, you said, Fritch has got a little hand problem. So, so give Ben Brown a go this week. Like, if you're a professional and a and a good side, you're not losing to North Melbourne. But anyway, sorry to go off topic there. I'll get to my moral. And I think this, this is the best odds of the week. And, um, and again, your Cats, Hilly, had a massive win against West Coast. I know you're going up to Sydney, but they've got a heap of injuries. You guys are in form. Um, they're obviously moving the ball a bit quicker with Cameron in. I just can't see Sydney getting anywhere near. They'll probably put up a good fight, the Swans, as they always do. But far too many injuries for them. Cats up and about. I think they'll get the job done, and that's my moral. I hope you don't jinx us, mate. Is this, is this a jinx <laughs> sort of moral to say the <laughs> cats get done? or No, hopefully, hopefully, mate. But I guess there's one thing you can't under, do is un, underestimate the Swans up at the SCG. They play the ground well. Um, and with a lot of young kids, you know, they're playing with a bit of excitement, a bit of a youthful enthusiasm. Hopefully, they can continue their form like they did against the Gold Coast last week and fall a bit short. But um, hope you're right, mate. I hope you're right. But it's no lay down Mazaire. So, well, mate, that just brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, a cracking chat with Dave Harris. Like, he was so open and transparent. And, you know, he wasn't afraid to not answer any of the questions we threw at him. It gave us a little bit more an indication of, you know, what they go through. Like, I know we can be very, uh, you know... Um, patriotic about our footy sides and, you know, question the umpiring and so forth. But, geez, it must be a tough bloody job to do. Oh, absolutely. No, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I said it, I've said it once, I'll say it twice, I'll say it three times. I could have spoken to him for hours on end and I'd love to sit down and have a few beers with him and talk all things umpiring because I'm just fascinated by it. And it, it, if, if it, you know, 20 years ago, 
uh, as you know, I'm a bit of a hack footballer, but could have been a path that maybe one of us could have went down and, and umpired on the, on the big stage of the MCG, but um, especially if it does become a full-time job. But anyway, I'll digress and um, hope you have a good weekend, Hilly, and uh, go the Tigers and go the Cats. I'll tell you what, big game for the Tigers on Friday night. Do you think he can get the job done against the Bullies? I'm going to be honest, mate, and I think, uh, I think the Dogs will be far too good. Uh, a couple of injuries for the Tigers. Yeah, a couple for the Tigers, a couple for the, for the Dogs, but I don't think the injuries for the Dogs will affect, affect them too much. Obviously, you take Dusty out, and I think we've proven we're, we're more than a Dusty side, but we just, we're just we lacking a bit of oomph at the moment. Um, we sort of need him to beat, beat a Western Bulldogs, and Lambert out sort of hurts our structure. And Anyway, I just think the Dogs will be far too good. They're playing too good. Their midfield deck is going to be just... They'll, they'll dominate us, like Melbourne dominate us. On the weekend, they'll get far too many uncontested possessions and set up their forwards. So, um, I'm just being honest, and, yeah, I think the Dogs will win. Yeah, it's going to be a, I reckon it'll be a close game. I really do. I think the Tigers' back line can certainly shut down the Bulldogs' forwards because if you can stop Norton getting scoreboard pressure and Bruce, then they start relying on those smalls to try and kick goals. But I guess it does stop in the engine room. You've got to stop, stop getting that supply, Bonton, Pally, Hunter, McRae and these types. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting clash. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, with Tim English not playing, may pave a way for uh, Jamara Ugal-Hagen to potentially make his debut. He's been good in his first two VFL games, kicking eight goals. So, fingers crossed the Warnable Export can get a gig at the G on Friday night in his first game. Yeah, I watched that VFL game. And, and the other thing about Bulldogs is their depth is so big. You know, they, they had some really good players in the VFL. So they're shaping up really well for a big tilt at the end of the year. Mate, we could talk footy all night, but we must leave. Enjoy the weekend. And as you said, go Tigers and go Cats.